All right, we are joined by Kevin McGuire of Locked On Nittany Lions. I am Andrew Wade of Locked On Hawkeyes. We are doing a Thursday crossover episode because we have Iowa versus Penn State this weekend, and I don't think we are at the spot we would expect to be at this point. I expected Iowa to maybe be 4-0, maybe 3-1. I'm sure, Kevin, you probably thought 3-1, 4-0, and we're looking at a 2-2 two two Iowa team versus an 0-4 Penn State team. Um, not the matchup we might have anticipated heading into Happy Valley this weekend. No, most certainly not. Uh, this season, at least as far as Penn State's concerned, has not gone according to plan. And I know Iowa got off to a little bit of a rough start, but, you know, hey, a couple wins under the belts. That's great. Uh, here, following Penn State, we're still kind of wondering when is it going to be a time to celebrate a victory? Uh, because the, the more and more time goes by, the more I'm thinking Penn State could realistically be 0-6 before we know it. And um, that I would obviously spell misfortune for Penn State this coming weekend against Iowa. But you know how the series goes, Andrew. You know, Penn State, Iowa, they're going to be some good contests, good physical matchups. You know, sometimes um, sometimes Iowa gets to come up in, on Penn State, and, you know, Penn State's had a pretty good run, but they've had to work at it too. Yeah, I mean, every single game, Iowa, I mean, Penn State has usually been ranked top 10, top 15 when Iowa takes them on, and every single game has been close. I mean, Iowa stays into all of those games. Um, the amount of times Penn State has just crushed my soul and ripped out my heart watching this game the last decade is honestly impressive. I think more so than any other team, maybe Wisconsin's up there, but Penn State just does a fantastic job of beating Iowa in like the last couple minutes. I'm thinking about the Saquon Barkley win. I mean, I was at a wedding watching that thinking I was going to win this game. I was going to win this game. I got, I literally buy 10 shots for me and all my buddies as we're watching this game to celebrate when Iowa, you know, when they stopped Penn State for that go ahead touchdown. And then he scored, and I was like, this is the most depressing ending possible. It's just every single year. But maybe this is the year, although I'll be honest, I was hoping Penn State beat Nebraska, so there wasn't this weird chip. But I want to get a sense from you. What is the mood in Nittany Lion Nation, and has this team quit on James Franklin? Yeah, there is a lot of doom and gloom right now as you know, you're reacting to yet another loss uh, of course against Nebraska and I know that really rankles at your skin a little bit but I get it uh, but I do think that you know the more time goes by this season the more we see this Penn State team there's a lot of shortcomings and it doesn't look as though they're making any progress in improving any of those areas you know offense has been a mess at least at the start of games defense has been a very huge disappointment this year and it's not just because Michael Parsons isn't there that's a big part of it but that is not the only excuse for whatever's going on with this Penn State defense and you know losing to Ohio State fine losing to Indiana the way they did I get it, it, it that stuff happens getting trounced by Maryland at home really kind of boiled a little bit and, and then this past weekend against Nebraska would have been nice to see a better start to the game but you know I do think that that wasn't as bad of a loss as the previous week against Maryland. It's just the fact that it was the fourth loss out of the gate. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of hesitation about where this program is as far as stability is concerned. I'm a little bit more optimistic. I, I think if you look at the grand picture of things, you know, I'm not going to throw out that 2020 is a weird year and just simply skate by on it. But I do think there's a part of that. I just think that if you look at James Franklin's career, Penn state, there's a, there's more upside potential than a lot of people are realizing right now. Absolutely. When you talk about Penn State starting slow, they are 123rd in the nation in first half points, 26th in the nation in second half points. That's a huge difference. Um, one of the other things I noticed with Penn State is the turnovers are a huge issue. They're not taking the ball away and they're turning over the ball a lot, which seemingly might have been the reason why Sean Clifford was like, you know, replaced halfway through the game last week. Um, you talk about the losses to Indiana 
and the losses to Ohio State. People forget about that. They should have beat Indiana. That was a bullcrap call. They were in, I mean, they played a solid game against Ohio State. And thankfully, listening to the press conferences, you know, today when we're recording on Tuesday, we're going to be dropping this on Thursday. But it seems like Iowa realizes that Penn State does have a lot of talent. You're absolutely right. The doom and gloom is, it's, it's warranted, I think, to an extent. But there is a lot of talent on this Penn State squad. Yeah, there really is. And I, th- I know that Kirk Ferentz kind of addressed this as well. He was asked about, you know, what he's seeing from Penn State. And you, if you look at the film, there are some bright spots. And, and I've found some optimistic uh, points from some of these uh, developments over the game, the course of the season. You know, Jahan Dotson is the wide receiver that's really stepping up and he's making some really fantastic plays, especially against uh, Ohio State a couple weeks ago. He's been one of the bright spots. But the problem is, you know, the turnovers. You, you mentioned it. Penn State is turning the ball over far too often and they don't have a defense that's going to allow you to get away with those mistakes. So giving teams short possessions, uh, leading to touchdowns, that's going to hurt you, especially with the quality of opponents that Penn State has faced this year already and will face moving forward. Because you look around the rest of the, the, the Big Ten East, uh, there, there are some teams that could give Penn State some problems. You know, Michigan State, I know, is down, but you know, th- th- there's no game on the schedule that is a gimme game for Penn State right now, including Rutgers. Yeah, it's unfortunate that Rutgers is no longer a gimme game. I used to really enjoy looking forward to Rutgers and saying, we're going to win by 30 and we're going to see our second team play. You talk about the turnovers. Iowa is fantastic at forcing turnovers. That'll be a really interesting matchup coming into this game. You talk about though the quarterback position, and we also have a concern on our side for the quarterback position. I would say that's probably Iowa's biggest weakness. If we had a quarterback who could throw the ball consistently, we might have beat Purdue and Northwestern. Unfortunately, against Northwestern, he throws three interceptions. It might have been two. I think it was three. Purdue Dewey overthrows Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marset on basically back-to-back drives for, you know, 70-yard touchdown passes. That's going to be a really interesting matchup. Which quarterback can really suck the least, in my opinion? (laughs) That's a great way to look at it because that really is kind of uh, the big question for this weekend. Which quarterback is going to make more mistakes? Uh, So it's going to be very interesting to see how Penn State handles it because I think the leash is getting very short for Sean Clifford. I do think he's going to start. I don't think James Franklin is going to back away from that and make an official quarterback change just yet. But as we saw against Nebraska, they should not hesitate to make a change. And I don't want to get carried away with a backup quarterback coming in and kind of providing a spark like Will Levis did against Nebraska because I don't know if that carries over from week to week. But, you know, I, I do think that if Sean Clifford makes a mistake and it leads to an easy touchdown for Iowa, Penn State gets in a big hole early on. There's not enough time to waste this season. It's already a short enough season as it is. Obviously the the big goals are already gone for Penn State, but you cannot afford to make those kind of mistakes and allow them to lead to what could be another loss this weekend. So if there's a chance that you can avoid that kind of a meltdown or a disaster, you got to make, you got to make that change. And that's what the head coach is there for. Absolutely. I will say for the Penn State fans listening out there, uh, almost no lead is too too big to come back from when you're playing Iowa, at least those first two weeks. Uh, so that is always a positive. If you're not, at least you're not, as long as you're not down by 35, that lead is uh, manageable when you're playing Iowa. They've struggled in the second half. They've done better the last two weeks, but the first two weeks of the season was definitely a huge concern seeing their second half performance uh, just seemingly dip. I don't know if it's halftime adjustments or what. I'm curious though, why is Sean Clifford struggling so much? Because last year, he looked, he looked like a really good quarterback. He looked like the perfect replacement for um, – T- was not Taysom Hill, Trace McSorley. Trace McSorley, yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I think he's got a lot of potential. I mean, we've seen some of those uh, upsides you know, during the course of his time as a starting quarterback going back to the start of last season. But he's also had his shortcomings. And they typically have come against the better teams that they have faced. You know, last year's game at Minnesota, got off to a bad start with some bad turnovers. You know, Ohio State uh, really frustrated him last year and, and did again this year. Uh, and I think that – 
I don't, I don't know if it's a mental thing where he maybe he's putting a little bit too much pressure on himself. I think more so the case this year, that might be what it is like, because, you know, going into the season, you figure Penn State's going to have a really good running back situation. And then before they even play it down, basically that's completely gone. Uh, so that's a much different area. So maybe, you know, he's the, the quarterback. He feels like he has to make a few more plays happen and that gets him into trouble. <laughs> and that's what, that's what they really have to focus on because the longer he tries to extend a play, it's actually the more likely he is to make a mistake or lose the football or just turn the ball over. Uh, so he hasn't been able to make something out of nothing uh, the way that I think a guy like Trace McSorley could. And that's not to say that Sean Clifford's a bad quarterback because I do think that he can be a good quarterback. He's just having a rough year. Uh, so can he overcome it? That's going to be the big question. And I do think it's a little bit of a confidence thing. You know, if you put together a couple of good drives and to the lead to some points and maybe even jump out to a lead, that would be kind of cool to see if you're a Penn State fan uh, because they haven't had a whole lot of those this year. So uh, I think getting into that kind of position, that may calm them down a little bit, maybe regain some of that confidence. And I think that could do wonders for where Penn State goes the rest of the year. We'll get back to our crossover conversation with Andrew Wade of Locked on Hawkeyes very shortly. But first, I want to let you guys know that now is a great time to make sure you are fully prepared for the upcoming weekend. As you prepare to watch Penn State in Iowa, make sure your fridge is packed with Coors Light, the beer that is literally made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. Again, it's literally made to chill, and it's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies themselves. It's perfect for the moment to unwind, and let's face it, after the long week that you're probably going through right now, you just want to unwind. You just want to relax. You just want to chill out and hopefully see your favorite team pick up their first win of the season this weekend. And when they do win, make sure you celebrate responsibly. But of course, you want to make sure that that fridge is stocked up, so go on your phone, go on your tablet right now, load up get.coorslight.com and get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind, so when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Once again, celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company through the end of your week, and if you are looking for a new way to break through that wall, looking for that solution, trying to get through whatever it is you're trying to get through, Check out Built Go. They're from the makers of Built Bars, the protein bars that taste just like a chocolate bar. You know, we've talked about them so many times over the course of the past year, but now they have a brand new product. If it's an energy gel, it's called Built Go. It comes in a little one and a half ounce package. You can throw it in your lunchbox. You can throw it in your briefcase. You can even throw it in the refrigerator and cool it up a little bit, cool it down, I guess, and you can put it in the pocket. It's going to be really cool and refreshing to put it on Apple, put it on some crackers, or just eat it straight out of the package. That's what I do. There's nothing wrong with that. It comes in three delicious flavors, including peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. But how does into the built go collagen protein it's fast absorbing it gets into your system fast and it's easy on the stomach it's got b3 it's got honey it's got b6 b12 if you're into those vitamins you know what that's all about it's going to give you that extra boost it without that crash feeling that just settles in it just wants you to keep you going that's why it's called built go if you want to check it out for yourself go to builtgo.com Use the promo code LOCKED, that's L-O-C-K-E-D. You're going to get 20% off your next order. Once again, use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Absolutely. I mean, this is a big turning point for the season. You could win this game and maybe finish four and four. You lose this game. It's hard to really imagine going up from that standpoint. Now you're just playing to ruin other team season. You talk about, you know, Sean Clifford and when he starts trying to create and do too much, he forces mistakes. He forces the air issues. Um, on the flip side for Iowa, 
that isn't necessarily Spencer Petras' issue. He just can't be accurate. I mean, he has four interceptions. They all come across the middle, and it's, the guy cannot take a lot of speed off his fastball. He has a strong arm, and it shows, but he's trying to just force the ball in there so hard. Um, but, you know, He's also been, you know, plagued by a few drops but for the most part it's not really necessarily him trying to do too much he's getting pretty solid protection I mean Iowa has one of the best offensive lines in the country from a pass blocking perspective but you wouldn't know it um, based off how he's kind of handling it in the pocket so definitely going to be a fun matchup to watch the running game uh, unfortunate for Journey Brown that is terrible that was one of the key players I thought Penn State was going to have coming into this year and the running game has seemed to seemingly suffered but it seems to have improved a little bit over the last couple weeks has there been any adjustments or changes, or am I just seeing things when I look at the box score? I I don't know if you're seeing things. I really do think that you know it's going to take some of these younger guys time to develop and, and really figure out exactly what their role is uh, moving forward because uh, things have changed very quickly with as far as this running back position. It's still a good, uh, solid position on Penn State's depth chart. It's just not as deep as it was supposed to be this year. So they have good, talented players running the football. So I do think a guy like Devin Ford, he's probably going to be the main guy for the rest of the season. Uh, of course, he's the guy that scored the touchdown against Indiana that shouldn't have scored the touchdown. Uh, he's taking a lot of heat for that, but I do think that that's kind of a learning process. You know, he wasn't, he was thrown into a big role when he wasn't expected to right at the start of the season. So uh, I, I think he's uh, kind of handling it a little bit better moving forward. It, it just helps if the offensive line can provide some of those uh, opportunities to break open a big play. That hasn't really been the case there. Uh, this offensive line was supposed to be one of the best that James Franklin has had since he has come to Penn State. Uh, and they still have some room for improvement as well, just like everybody else on this Penn State team right now. It, there isn't one key area that is really thriving right now. <laughs> that's a big problem. And that's why they're 0-4. Uh, but I think if they get that offensive line, get the running game going, uh, they should be okay for the most part. Absolutely, man. One of the areas of weakness for Iowa is the cutback game from a defensive perspective. So they're doing a great job of securing the point of attack, but then the running backs, if they have good vision, are able to cut back and have been able to force a few missed tackles and get a few yards. That's how Northwestern burnt us. That's how Purdue burnt us with a running game that, oh my gosh, I produce Purdue pisses me off because they don't have a running game and they had a walk-on linebacker that played running back get a hundred yards on us, which I could go on for days about how annoying that is, but that is an opportunity for Penn state. I'm not sure how the vision of your running backs looks. Obviously when you talk about younger running backs, that usually is one of the bigger concerns is that general vision. They're just trying to run through the hole and run as fast as they can. If they have that good vision, that'll give them some opportunities though in this game. Yeah. And they, they quickly learn when they come out of high school and get to the college game, uh, things go a little faster. <laughs> so yeah. there's a little bit of adjustment there. It doesn't matter how great you were in high school. Uh, things are not going to go quite as easily for the most part. I mean, there are obviously some rare exceptions to that rule. Uh, I don't think any of them reside on either Penn State or Iowa's roster right now. So uh, it should be pretty fun to watch. I think there's one thing you can say about Iowa and Penn State, especially when they have played over the years. The running backs are going to be a key part of this game, right? That seems to always be the case. You know, Iowa has had some terrific running backs. Penn State, of course, has had some really good running backs over the years. Uh, it's going to come down to the running game one way or the other here. Yeah, I mean, it's really annoying when we play Penn State because we, you know, Saquon Barkley burns us, just destroys us, makes our linebackers look like they're playing on ice, right? And then he leaves and I think, we're good. There's no way they can have someone replace him. We're fine. Bring in Miles Sanders. Right. Oh, okay, cool. You got another one. He leaves. Like, all right, we're bound to get to someone that's bad, right? Journey Brown comes in. Like, this is ridiculous. Can we just stop with these running backs who just torch <laughs> Iowa over and over again, man? Yeah, well, listen. 
what goes around comes around. Okay. Iowa had a really good ride for a long time. Uh, yeah. And this is, this is the thing that you know, Iowa had a, a really good run against Penn state for a long time where Iowa was just like nemesis number one for Penn state. It always seemed like no matter how good things may be going for Penn state, that Iowa game was going to mess it up somehow. <laughs> and, and now of course, Penn state has had the upper hand uh, for the last how many years. Now? I know Kirk Ferentz has said that it's been what a decade since they've won at Penn state. Uh, I actually forgot it was that long, but it has been. I went back and double checked, and it has been a good amount of time since Iowa has come out of Penn State with a win. Now, remember, uh, I don't think this is going to be a six to four kind of a game, oh, but it could be. It could be an ugly kind of a game. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, almost all of our games are pretty ugly in one <laughs> way, shape, or another. One thing you mentioned I, I completely forgot about was the fact that um, Penn State had struggles against Iowa. Um, especially in early on in Kirk Ferentz's tenure, Kirk Ferentz talks about it. Their win over Penn State really uh, catapulted Iowa into a decade of a pretty solid football. Um, and then the last decade has been quite the opposite, where Iowa has uh, very much struggled against Penn State. And it's always the game on the schedule. We're like, if we can just get by Penn State, we're in the running for a Big Ten West title, and then we drop to Penn State. Last year was interesting. Robert Windsor just tore apart our interior offensive line. I'm curious, you know, you lose Eater Gross Matos, you lose Robert Windsor. How does that defensive line look this year? Because that was arguably the biggest thing I noticed was we couldn't do anything against your interior defensive line. I didn't know who the hell Robert Windsor was, but he sure did, he sure let me know who he was after that game, man. Yeah, well, the name I think you want to keep in mind in mind is going to be Shaka Tony. I think he has had some really good plays this season, and he's going to be the guy that they're really leaning on to make those plays happen. Uh, unfortunately, like uh, it seems to be a recurring theme for Penn State. It's been a little bit of a disappointment as far as the overall season is concerned. Uh, again, Penn State's defense either plays really well in a half or really poorly in a half. So it feels like depends on which half you're talking about. And, and that's one thing that Penn State has been pretty good about. They have made adjustments after halftime. They're like They dig a big hole in the first half, but all of a sudden the defense starts making most plays in the second half. You know, aside from the Ohio State game and the last drive against Indiana, Penn State's defense has been pretty good in the second half, especially these past two weeks against Maryland and Nebraska, and that has allowed the offense to come back. And I do think that this defensive line is going to have to step up a little bit because, you know, Penn State likes to call themselves linebacker U, but I think for the last decade, it's really been the defensive line that has been the anchor of this defense. And I think that that is something that kind of gets overshadowed so many times because of all the focus that Penn State puts on their linebackers. Now, again, no Micah Parsons there. So Micah Parsons was a big star attraction at the linebacker position, but now that he's gone, uh, you need somebody to step up. And I think Shaka Tony, uh, first of all, I love the name, Shaka yeah. Tony. It's, it's a, a great name. Football, it's a football defensive football lineman name. <laughs> I, I think he's going to have to be a guy that's going to make some plays happen in the backfield. And if he does that, then. Yeah, I mean, we talked about – I mean, it seems like everything we talk about, these two teams are just so opposite in everything they do, right? Iowa starts fast. Penn State starts slow. Um, Iowa's quarterback – at least we're consistent there. Both of them turn the ball over. Iowa's turned his ball over because he's throwing the ball too hard. Sean Clifford turns it over because he's trying to do too much with it. Um, this game, though, for Iowa, at least, is going to come down to the running game. And can they establish that running game against Penn State? Because clearly so far, I have not been impressed with our passing game. <laughs> 
Spencer Petras is ranked 198th out of 298 quarterbacks, according to PFF. Not exactly ideal. You talk about the defense. Uh, you lost seven starters. You talk about the defense kind of struggling. That is a huge deal. Um, but I do, I mean, it seems like Penn State's defense has gotten better, though, over the course of the season. Uh, I mean, even in the Indiana game, Indiana wins that game. But what, didn't Penn State outgain Indiana by like 200 or 250 yards? Or was that Nebraska? Yeah. Or was it both games, I think, actually? It was actually both games. Penn State yeah. had a decisive advantage in yards, uh, you know, total yardage uh go back to the indiana game big big problem was turnovers <laughs> it comes back to it you know indiana had a four-yard touchdown drive uh so that right there uh, was one of the big reasons why that game even went into overtime in the first place uh defense was not a problem against indiana again they gave up the game tying drive at the end of the game but you know for basically 50 minutes the defense was the thing that was keeping you in that game for a while it was the offense it was just giving up too many opportunities to the Hoosiers. Uh, it was sort of the same thing against Nebraska, although Nebraska made some plays happen early on. So, I mean, everybody was to blame in the first half for Penn State against Nebraska. But again, they, they came out and they played a much better second half. They had a chance to tie the game right at the end of the game there and because the offense was making some things happen after a quarterback change. The defense really clamped down. Now, um, obviously, uh, asking the defense to shut Nebraska out in the second half was probably a little bit too much, but uh, that's the problem. You dig such a big hole in the first half, you know, are you going to be able to climb out of it in the second half when you do start putting things together? That's been a big problem for Penn State. Yeah. Um, another, another uh, key focal point I think is the tight ends because Penn State has always, you know, traditionally put together a pretty good tight end group. Iowa has traditionally put together a pretty good tight end group. Penn State, I would say one of your best playmakers, if not your best playmaker, is Pat Fryermuth. I might have butchered his name there. On the flip side, Iowa has Sam Laporta, an up-and-coming guy. What have teams done to try to stop Pat from impacting the game offensively? I think for the most part this year, going into the season, there was such a big question about, are, is Penn State going to have any wide receivers to worry about? And the answer has probably been no. Uh, you know, again, Jaha Dotson has been really good and has made some flashes, but I think it's a wide receiver position as a whole. There really hasn't been a whole lot of reason for a lot of thank, teams to really worry too much about it. Thank God KJ Hamler's gone. Holy hell. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I hear that from a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but 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 because there was so little to worry about from the wide receiver position, you can focus more on taking away your tight end, who's going to be your your primary receiver. So that's why he hasn't Pat Frymuth hasn't exactly had a terrific season this year. I don't know if it's necessarily because he's been underperforming or just the fact that the opportunities haven't been there. And I will say, you know, Sean Clifford being under pressure pretty much as soon as he gets the ball in his hands hasn't helped either. So uh, you know, if the offensive line can give Sean Clifford a chance to find a pet. Frymuth wide open. He did have a, a big 87-something yard catch last week against Nebraska, whatever it was. Uh, he just ran out of steam, couldn't quite cross the goal line, but it did lead to a touchdown. But, you know, there hasn't been enough of that this year for Penn State. And I'm not saying that you want to see uh, Pat Frymuth streaking down the field uh, wide open because that's not exactly his game. But, hey, Penn State will take whatever they can get at this point. Absolutely. One of the things, if you are a Penn State fan who's been paying attention to Iowa football over the last 10, 15 years, you know they're pretty much stuck in tradition and they are – traditionally running a 4-3 defense. I just want to make sure you all know, though, it's changed. It's uh, we're, yeah. we're advancing. We are adapting here in Iowa City. We ran a 4-2-5 pretty consistently against Minnesota, and I even saw a dime look and a dollar Whoa. look. 
Don't, yeah. Call me. And we actually manned up. We were manned up almost the entire game. So I think that'll be a really interesting matchup. How do they handle Pat, right? If you don't have the wide receivers like a KJ Hamler, we don't have to worry about getting burnt then because you try to match up one of our corners on KJ Hamler. That's bad news bears for Iowa. But with Pat being the sole weapon, I think it'll be interesting to see if we maybe bring in our dime backer, which is basically a safety who can play in the box a little bit and maybe cover him and see how that matchup works. But for those Penn State fans out there who are familiar with Iowa and the fact that we have historically ran a 4-3 defense, times are a-changing. Phil Parker is adapting, and we actually are blitzing some people now. So it'll be a really interesting matchup when you talk about that offensive line. It's very weird to see a a program that is so steeped in its ways, like Iowa uh, or like Penn State for a long time, break that mold. And how do they thrive in, in that new look? And sometimes there's a little bit of a transition. Sometimes it doesn't gel as smoothly as you want. Uh, but maybe now things, you know, a couple of weeks in now, maybe things are coming together for this Iowa defense. And I'll be very curious to see how that all plays out moving forward. Is that going to be the new look Iowa for years to come? Or is this still, it's just a little temporary flash in the pan? That's my quick, big question for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious too, man. It has been, I mean, two years ago, the only question reporters would ask are, What's happening? Why do we have a, a nickel look? Do we have a dimebacker? Who's going to be the, I mean, the dimebacker that we call it the cash position in Iowa. That was such a revolutionary concept for Iowa. And it was the talk of the entire freaking season. Last year was the talk of the entire freaking offseason. Now we're seeing man concepts. What a, what a big deal that is. And then offensively, we ran a wildcat. I don't think I've ever seen a wildcat since I've been an Iowa fan. I don't think I've ever seen a running back take a snap. That's not a true trick play. We have Tyler Goodson running wildcat like three, four times a game. I don't know what to think about that. I'll, it'd be crazy if they start having him throw the ball too. We might see a hell. We might see a wide receiver pass at some point with the way this offense is evolving too. So it has been uh, quite an interesting couple of years in Iowa City as Iowa tries to keep up with some of these bigger programs, especially now that they're starting to actually get some athletes at the wide receiver and running back position. Yeah, I'm kind of curious what your take is on Iowa as far as recruiting is concerned, because I think that, you know, Penn State, um, one of the criticisms that some people have about James Franklin is he can recruit the talent. He doesn't necessarily develop it the way I think a lot of people want. But, you know, to me, watching a program like Iowa, you know, certainly a program like Wisconsin, where they don't necessarily have the geographical uh, advantages that some other programs do and i'm not saying that penn state has all the geographical advantages either but you know i'm always kind of curious now you know because we've seen nebraska kind of stuck in this holding pattern for how long now iowa geographically i from my standpoint feels like the same kind of fit as nebraska maybe you can uh, shed some light on that uh, you know am i wrong in that thinking or is that something that has just been an obstacle that you've had to overcome what exactly is the, the recruiting strategy with iowa yeah, it is interesting. So Iowa as a state itself typically doesn't have a lot of good football. I mean, top tier football talent. The last couple of years that has actually changed. Not saying Iowa is a hotbed. They are just a lot hotter than they have been. Um, they're producing, you know, 10 this year. I think it's 15 or 20 D1 football players, which is absolutely unheard of for Iowa. So that that is definitely an opportunity for success there. I think their approach to recruiting has been a little bit interesting as well. Um, they've definitely refined it, trying to find those guys who are willing to work hard. And that is not a problem when you're looking for those big, burly offensive linemen or the quarterback who plays for an eight-man football team and you're turning him into a linebacker in the future. Our issue has been recruiting those 
athletes. And that has been the biggest issue with the wide receiver position and the running back position. I honestly don't know how we fell into Tyler Goodson. Um, I, I think he was a huge miss down in Georgia. We've opened up that recruiting pipeline down in Florida a bit as well. And we've been getting a few athletes from there. Um, Brandon Smith was a lucky as hell grab. Our recruiting coordinator was down there looking at someone else, happened to stop by because he knew a guy. I can't even remember the full story. Long story. It was basically he lucked into seeing Brandon Smith. So um, it's a little bit of luck, but a lot. I mean, Iowa does a really great job of developing players. And then Kelton Copeland is our wide receiver coach, and he has done a fantastic job of developing that wide receiver group. Um, I don't know if you remember about three, four years ago, but uh, we definitely had probably, I would say, bottom 20 wide receiver groups in the nation, not in the Big Ten, just in the nation. And so he's done a really good job of developing those players as well. But we're not recruiting five-star guys. We're still recruiting around the same level guys. Our recruiting classes are getting a little bit better, but the development and the approach to finding these guys has definitely been a bit better, in my opinion. I think if you look around the entire Big Ten, you know, recruiting has taken some steps forward in terms of trying to get faster, more athletic, whatever term you want to use. And, and I always say, I think that Urban Meyer going to Ohio State really kind of ramps things up a little bit. Maybe there were some developments all the way, but I think that Urban Meyer is setting the bar higher for Ohio State, a program that was already recruiting very well, uh, certainly among the best in the Big Ten. Uh, what Urban Meyer did, and then you know Jim Harbaugh coming into Michigan, having some good success recruiting. I think James Franklin has done a really good job with Penn State. You're seeing a trickle-down effect around the entire conference, and that's good for the conference as a whole. It, yeah. It's great because you know the Big Ten is not getting left behind the way that some people want to suggest that it is. Uh, you know, Big Ten may not have all the best athletes in the country. You know, other conferences probably have more depth. But it, this isn't the old school Big Ten anymore. I mean, the, the, things are opening up uh, around the conference as far as offensive game styles are concerned. You know, obviously, it's not necessarily true for every program. <laughs> there are some programs that are probably stuck a little bit more than others, <clears throat> Michigan. Uh, but I do think that I, I do think that you know we, we're starting to see. Uh, a big 10 that is becoming more offensively entertaining to watch. Yeah. I mean, adapt or die. And I, I completely agree with you. Urban Meyer set the bar higher for the big 10 where the big 10 was fine. Everyone was, you know, ground and pound running the ball, 22 formation, whatever. Right. Urban Meyer comes in and says, ah, oh, we have other things to do. Right. And so that's, you're starting to see a lot of these teams adapt and approach adapt their approach. And that's what Iowa's was trying to do as well. I mean, the four, three worked until everyone in the big 10 got enough athletes. They could run three, four, five wide. And now our linebackers who are former, you know, quarterbacks on eight man football teams, they can't keep up with these guys. So it, it forces teams to adapt and it allows us to compete better in bowl games. I mean, we're seeing Big Ten football playing a lot better at a higher level um, when you're getting into playoff time, into uh, postseason time, which is definitely good. So I guess shout out to Urban Meyer, uh, as much of a terrible person as he is, all things considered. Uh, <laughs> fantastic that he was able to help the Big Ten evolve. Yeah, thanks for that, Urban. Uh, <laughs> I do say, you mentioned bowl games, and I, I made the mistake uh, before recording this podcast with you of looking at some of the latest bowl projections from one of the outlets out there. I forget which one it was, but uh, unfortunately I didn't see Penn state's name anywhere. And that was, a, that was kind of the eye opening experience. So like, I know this, this year, everybody's bowl eligible, but the fact that Penn state uh, going into this game this weekend is owned for, and not even bothered to be listed uh, in any of the bowl matchups anywhere. Uh, that tells me that this is a must win situation for Penn state. Uh, I forget where Iowa was slated, but obviously going to any bowl game is probably better than no bowl game. Yeah. 
hundred percent. Um, definitely makes for an interesting game. Iowa, you know, they need to win out. They want to get and kind of achieve their, you know, the expectations for this year. Having a new quarterback was always going to be a challenge. I think not as big of a challenge as we necessarily anticipated. Lost to quite a few guys in the defensive line. Um, so with that being said, Penn State zero and four, Iowa two and two. Maybe not where either of us thought these teams would be at early on in the season. What are your predictions for this game? Pain, as Mr. T said in uh, Rocky Three, I, I think this is going to be pain. Uh, here's the thing. I think Penn State has to win a game eventually, almost by mistake. And it could be this weekend, but I'm not entirely confident in suggesting that. I, I said earlier, I think that Penn State's staring at an 0-6 record right now, the way that things have been playing. If they don't improve anywhere in, on the offense or the defense, the way they start games, I think that is a very realistic possibility here. And so that's why I'm – I'm going to lean the other way. I think that Iowa, actually, I think Iowa's the favorite here. Yeah. So I, I'm actually going to go with Iowa on the road this weekend. First of all, no fans in the stands. So that's a huge, great equalizer. I think for a program, especially like Iowa, who has struggled in Beaver Stadium, uh, you know, games in Kinnick are obviously much tighter, but when they come out to Happy Valley, it things tend to go a little bit more Penn State's way in recent history. That's no longer the case. So I, I look at the way that I. Iowa's played the last couple of weeks. I, I feel much more confident about Iowa's chances of getting out of this one with a win. I said earlier, I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be scrappy. Uh, and I don't know who that favors. But the way that Penn State has been going this year, uh, unless they show some serious signs of improvement this week, uh, I think this is an Iowa game that's going to be a, a victory at the end. I, so I'm not going to predict it because I don't want to jinx myself, but so far, <laughs> I've done, this is the fifth crossover. Iowa's played five games. Every time on the crossover episode, the other team has predicted Iowa to win. They have. So I hope that's the case. I do agree with you. It is going to be an ugly game, likely a very low scoring game. A lot of defense should be a very good opportunity to get super pissed off and drink our Coors Lights during that game to maybe help us reduce our angst. Kevin, it's always a blast doing these crossover episodes with you. We'll have to be back talking about basketball in a couple of weeks as well when Big Ten kicks off for the basketball season. Um, any last words, any last questions you have for me from a Hawkeye perspective? No, Andrew, I think we covered a lot of ground. I think we've said it once again. This is going to be uh, an interesting game, I guess. I can't say it's going to be an exciting game. Uh, but there's a lot on the line, I think, as far as pride is concerned for Penn State. Uh, obviously, I was in a much better situation. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. I know I always appreciate your insight on the Iowa Hawks. Guys, I always learn a lot uh, from that standpoint. So I always enjoy doing these crossovers with you too. And uh, I don't know when we'll do it again because I'm not a huge basketball guy. But uh, hey, if if you want to come on, we'll we'll, we'll talk some uh, Penn State Iowa memories or whatever. You know, that's fine with me. You know where to find me, and I know where to find you. Yeah, man, I I love football a little bit more than basketball, but you can't ignore the fact that Iowa is a NCAA title contender this year. So I have to talk about basketball at some point. That's it fair. has been a great crossover <laughs> episode. Kevin McGuire of Locked On Nittany Lions. I'm Andrew Wade of Locked On Hawkeyes, and we'll be back for another day.